everybody is angry these days and nobody is doing it very well, I think. When you are angry but have faith, you get to keep your temper, you get to keep your edge because you believe that God can make a way even though things are unacceptable.
John chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing this work of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So I'm loving this verse uh, and this passage because it's reminding me that our basic work is trusting in Jesus and that if we can maintain our trust in him at all times, we will receive nourishment and provision from Jesus no matter what. So with that in mind, let's pray together today. Jesus, we thank you that uh, it's, it's about you that you are the center, you have God's seal of approval, and that you have provided a way for us to do the right works no matter what. And once again, we just commit our trust to you. We commit our attention and our affection back to you. And we pray that you would help us to keep it set on you no matter what, knowing that this is the work you've called us to do. We come together uh, just remembering how thankful we are for you and what you've done. And we just say again that we trust you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, good morning, Blue Water. Um, we are Tony and Karen Lee, and we're here to light the first Advent candle for the season um, upon reflection about Advent. Um, I was thinking about how my youngest um, child is no longer living with us. She's gone to live in California for college. Um, yeah, our children are no longer in the same physical space as us. However, um, Jesus is, just like how he came to Bethlehem to live among us. I pray for all of us that during this time of Christmas, you know, you start with the first four weeks prior to the birth of Christ that we really focus on 
the celebration and the adventure of Jesus in our lives. It's, it's hard to do that sometimes. You know, four weeks before Christmas, I tend to think of something important, Black Friday, sales, um, just the commercialism of what we experience. But truly, I pray that we refocus on Jesus in our lives. And so I bless all of you as we light the first Advent candle. And again, pray that we really focus on the astounding significance when Jesus came into this world. Thank you. Hello, welcome to our online service this week. Sunday fun day this afternoon from 4 to 6, sunset bingo. And I hear there's going to be some legit prizes like fresh pie. Come on out, join Rolo and the gang. Should be a wonderful time at Kaka'ako Beach Front Park, 4 to 6 Sunday. For those of you who are part of the Blue Water family, we know that you give faithfully and we thank you for your generosity. We know that giving is an act of worship and sacrifice and it keeps the ministries going and sows into the kingdom. So we're super grateful, lots of ways to give. And if you're just visiting or checking us out, we ask that you consider this service a gift to you from us. And now we have an exciting announcement for December 5th, and Jordan and Sonia are going to give it to us. Psalm 122 says, It made me glad when they said to me, Let's go up to the house of the Lord. As you know, the staff has been working really hard to try and find a place for everyone to gather in conditions that made it accessible for everyone. But all of our prospective landlords have had slightly different requirements, so that's proven a little bit impossible. So for the holiday season, for the month of December only, we are going to have two different Sunday gatherings in two different places. At 9.30 a.m. at our regular time, we're going to gather at Palama Settlement as we normally do. Palama requires that anybody who comes to that service shows proof of vaccination or proof of a recent COVID test. So at 4 p.m., we're gonna have a second Sunday service at the YWAM base in Manoa. And that service is come one, come all. There will be children's programming at both services and youth and high school are going to continue to meet according to their current schedule. All of the details are gonna be sent out in an upcoming email. So make sure you're on the Blue Water Blast email list and you can go to bluewatermission.org and sign up for that if you're not. We're still looking hard for a great permanent solution, and that will come. But for December, let's gather, let's be the church, let's worship together, and we're gonna have a very Merry Christmas. Looking forward to seeing you guys. We're in the middle of a sermon series on what does faith get you when? The idea is that we're gonna take a look at different sorts of situations and try to present healthy models of faith reactions to those situations, some of them difficult, some of them uh, easy. Today we're going to take a look at what faith gets you when you're angry. Anybody angry? You probably are angry. There's a good chance that you listening out there are angry because we are in extraordinarily angry times, are we not? Are we not? We're angry about politics, we're angry about pandemic. Uh, policies, we're angry about justice issues, 
we're angry about all sorts of things as a culture. Mostly we're angry though at other people. We're not angry at COVID. We're not angry at policies. We're angry at people because they are the problem, right? The other people, they're the problem, yeah. right? It's the other people. Um, we're not angry at death. We're not angry at sin. We're not angry at Satan. We're not angry at actual murderers or criminals and stuff like that. We're angry at the people who have the audacity to not agree with us because they're the ones that are ruining your life. And they're the ones that are ruining the country, right? Those people. Everybody say them. Yeah. Oh, them. That's, that's, that's the problem. Uh, now, I insist on thinking that most people, including most Christians, are sensible and balanced and gracious people uh, because that, of course, is our call in Christ. Uh, but I was hanging out with a, a group of pastors uh, this week, and they had plenty of stories of churches having to shut down or churches splitting or bunches of people leaving Christian communities in a huff uh, because they were angry at other people in the church, other people in, in the community. I think generally these are deeply pharisaical times. Do you know what I mean by pharisaical? Deeply religious times. I'm not talking about religion that has anything to do with God. I'm just thinking about the spirit of religion, this deep conviction of right and wrong and of you being right and sort of this intolerance, this anger, this judgmentalism that goes with that religious sense. We are pharisaical these days, maybe first and foremost about politics uh, because they have been deeply uh, divisive, I'm talking about in our culture generally. Um, we are angry about justice issues, the huge themes uh, last uh, couple of years, and it's often correct and good to be angry about justice issues, uh, but there's a lot of Phariseeism, a lot of religious intolerance about ways that they see justice issues incorrectly. Uh, we're certainly angry about the pandemic and everything the pandemic has wrought in our society but largely we're angry about the politics that go with the pandemic and the policies that result. And those people who have the wrong ideas about such things. But you know, those are just the big issues. And in life, of course, there are always things to be angry about. There's never a shortage of stuff to be angry about in life. For instance, traffic. We know that the biggest problem with traffic is those people, you know, the idiots. Like the fellow who, though he's presumably been driving for a large portion of his life, still hasn't accepted the value of the turn signal. Or the guy who thinks that his car is the perfect way to show the world how powerful he is. Ah, oh, but the real problem with traffic is the Hawaii State Traffic Authorities, the people who gave us the University Avenue on-ramp and who for deeply mystical reasons have chosen to keep H1 narrowed to just three lanes in the busiest zone of downtown, which is precisely where they have chosen to crowd the greatest number of on-ramps and off-ramps. Not that I'm complaining. How many of you get angry about traffic on a daily basis? Yes. Every time you're driving to work, can I hear an amen? amen. 
in another vein, uh, often the people that make us angriest or the people who most frequently make us angry are the people who are closest to us uh, in life. That's very common. Uh, I think it has to do with us expecting the most from those people uh, and so often being disappointed by them. Um, or because those people are right in our faces, they're the people who are sharing our space in life. Um, but also because the people who are closest to us are in position to give us the most sympathy in life, and yet they choose not to understand us well. What? Not that I'm complaining or anything. Um, if you have been hanging around uh, Jesus for a while, hanging around scripture, you probably know quite a number of verses about anger because the Bible has a lot of them. One verse that everybody seems to know is, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do you guys know that verse? Yeah. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Um, do not let anger lead you to sin. That's how that gets introduced. Uh, that verse actually started as a psalm, one of David's psalms, but Paul quotes it later in Ephesians chapter 4, and that's where a lot of people know it from. Do not, <clears throat> in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's how it flows together. Um, often we interpret that as do not let the sun go down on your anger without telling the person who made you angry how deeply they offended and disappointed you. That's usually how we interpret that, that verse. It's not exactly what the verse says, um, but uh, it's often good to talk things out, of course. Um, in context, though, I find, I find the verse very interesting. Let me read you uh, the, the context from Ephesians chapter 4 verses 25 through 28. Therefore, Paul says, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Everybody's connected here. In your anger, do not sin, quoting from the psalm. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Don't let the devil get a grip on you. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they might have something to share with those who have need. Um, so in context, I might interpret that. I might summarize it by saying, don't, when you get angry, don't let your anger lead you uh, into sin. Don't let it manipulate you into doing the wrong thing. Don't let it tempt you, for instance, to speak falsely to your neighbor, to start making accusations or excuses. Uh, if you're angry about need, don't let it lead you to steal things, you know. Instead, try to be constructive. Remember to work hard. Remember to provide for others. Remember to speak truthfully and upbuildingly, that sort of thing. Don't let your anger lead you into places where a wise person would not want to go. In other words, one of my favorite Proverbs comes from the 19th chapter of the book of Proverbs, 
Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is a person's glory to overlook an offense. You know, if you get angry, don't get offended. You know, it's a different sort of flavor. It's your glory to overlook offenses. When people offend you, it's actually quite glorious to let it go. Jesus has quite a number of teachings about being willing to get taken advantage of. We think this is psychologically unhealthy. Actually, the Bible often suggests that it's quite healthy. You have to be discerning. You have to be patient. And the problem with anger is that it could rob you of your discernment. And it could rob you of your patience in the moment. And so there are all these cautionary warnings. Proverbs 29 says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Would you consider it psychologically healthy if I told you, when you get really angry, keep it in. But on occasion, at least, the Bible says that might actually be the wise thing to do. You know, patience discernment, a little rumination might go a long way in particularly tempestuous moments. There are tons of verses in the Bible about the danger of anger. But I would probably say that anger itself is not a bad thing, but you need to stay on top of it or it can lead you to bad things. Um, have you ever tried to define what anger is? Ever thought about it? Ever tried to define anger without using the word anger? A lot of our emotion words are like that. Most dictionaries say something like, well, it's a strong feeling of irritation, or it's a strong feeling of annoyance. But they almost all say something about the strength of the feeling. And that is intrinsic to anger when you feel angry, you feel strongly, right? It's like riding a very big wave. It is its character. There's a lot of energy in anger, and that can make it helpfully strong. It can make it very destructively strong. I would probably define anger practically as, as a, a strong feeling about something you don't want to accept for whatever reason. It's a strong feeling about something that you don't want to accept. And in that sense, I have found in life that I'm often a fan of anger. I've often found anger to be helpful in my life. It has often been the energy that I need to defy defeat or to defy debilitation, you know? In my life, I've often needed the ability and the strength behind the ability to say in my heart of hearts, this is not acceptable. This is not right. And then to not cave right, to the situation or to people who are trying to convince me that something was okay, even when my spirit knew that it was not. And often, it's been anger that has let me win that battle because it gives you strength of feeling. It gives you energy in important moments when you need it. There's such a thing as righteous anger, right? Which is why we have that phrase, righteous anger. I think about Jesus in, in the temple courts. He went in, he saw a bunch of things in the temple that really angered him. 
And so he flipped over the tables of the money changers and he made a whip out of cords and, and he drove people out. I mean, the dude threw a full-on tantrum and he got kind of violent. He was angry. But he was angry for good cause. And he needed to make that statement. And he relied on anger to make it appropriately, to stand against the entire establishment. Which takes a lot of energy, right? Even for a guy like Jesus. So it can be uh, quite, quite um, constructive. Um, and, and in my life, I have found it's often been necessary. And it sort of kept me together on important uh, occasions. And sometimes it's helped me to act rightly in the world. One of the formative moments of my life was when I happened upon a group of older boys in the neighborhood who were torturing a cat. And I was overcome with righteous indignation. Even though I was the smallest and scrawniest kid there, I threw myself into the middle and rescued the cat and said, what are you doing? This is not right. And you know, they could have just stomped me. And there was something about the anger uh, in, in my eyes that made them all back down and feel ashamed and walk away and probably saved me from a beating. And incidentally, save the cat, uh, which was the point of the whole thing. I remember in a milder story when I was in grad school, working on my PhD, trying to start writing my dissertation, which is basically you write a book about your research. It's a long process that a lot of people find very depressing. I was certainly very depressed at the time. And I walked in and handed a summary of what I was going to write about, a summary of my dissertation to one of my dissertation advisors, who was famous for being a very curmudgeonly and angry guy. And he sort of flipped through my summary, and, and he plopped it down on his desk. And he looked at me, and he said, you are not a good writer. And in that moment, something rose up in me. And, and I remember getting in his face and saying, I am a good writer. And instead of reacting, he paused for a minute and looked at me and decided to respect it. And he said, all right, show me. And so I took it back. I rewrote the summary. I walked in. And he said, yeah, this is really good. He was the guy that would later say to me, we became friends. And he would later say to me, you know, Jordan, because <clears throat> you and your research are not politically acceptable in academia today, you are not going to get a job. He didn't quite say it like that, but that's, you know, he wanted to tell me that out of kindness, I think. But he added, I remember famously, but you're a great writer and you should use your pen to move forward in life. You know, that, that, that's not the best story about anger, but it's a way that indignation can sort of come up in you and save the day. Right? And, and lead you to not accept things that you should not accept. So that, that's the good side of anger. You know, snaps for anger. Um, but anger is often boiled over in my life. You know, there are those people who may or may not be married to me who might be tempted to say that I have an issue with too much anger in my life. Can I hear a soprano amen out there in the crowd? Yeah. Um, but I would argue, I would argue that I don't have an anger problem. I would argue that I have a temper problem. You know, you might say that I have a short temper, and that at least I struggle with my short temper. Well, when I was thinking this week, one of my very earliest memories in life 
comes from when I was about three years old, and I was in my bedroom, and I was throwing things against the wall. I was upturning everything in the little room in which I slept. And I don't even remember what I was angry about, but I remember that tantrum, you know. And looking back on my life when I was about three, three and a half years old, there were a lot of stormy things happening in my family and my life. So it's not hard for me to imagine that I was just an angry kid because so many things were going wrong. So many of my relationships were being disrupted and, 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 and things were topsy-turvy. All to say that, you know, f f from my earliest childhood memories, I remember just being angry, angry at the situation, whatever the situation uh, might be. Um, but really what that is, is a loss of temper, right? It's not just being angry, it's letting anger just dominate you in a tantrum uh, sort of way. What does faith get you when you're angry? Was the question. And I think what faith gets you is temper. The ability to be tempered. The ability to not let the anger take you into dark and sinful places, but rather to eventually ultimately lead you to constructive places with the anger. That's what faith should get you if you do it uh, correctly. Uh, what do I mean when I use that word temper? Um, I, uh, I like to, uh, to make knives. You know this about me? I'm, an, I like, I'm a knife maker and particularly I, li I like to make throwing knives, um, which will influence your opinion of me in some fashion, but there it is. I'm just putting it out there. I make throwing knives. Um, and have you heard about tempered steel or tempering a blade? Right? This is sort of where the word comes from. What temper means, it, it, it's, it's the root word from which we get temperature, right? Same sort of root in the word. When you temper a blade, a steel blade, what you do is you forge the steel first. You forge the steel in fire, right? You melt the ore, you pour it, and you pound on it. We've all seen blacksmiths at work, at least in movies. And you heat the steel red hot, right, to a critical point where it becomes very malleable. And you sort of pound the blade out, and you sort of sharpen an edge. So that's forging. That's using very high heat to shape something, OK? And then you let the knife cool. You let the blade cool. And then after that, you do a tempering process. You reheat the very same blade, but not to the critical point. You, lead it, you heat it to a, a, a sub-red hot point. And then after that mild heating, you set it aside to cool. And that second process, mild heating, was called tempering the blade. And what it does, it actually changes the metal at the molecular level. It lines things up in such a way. Non-tempered steel is incredibly hard, and you can sharpen it to an incredible point, but it's not flexible. Right? So if you're in a sword fight and, you, and a non-tempered blade hits another one, the non-tempered blade would shatter. Tempering puts a little flexibility back into the steel, because it lines things up. It gives it long. I won't go into the, the physics of it. But it makes hard steel somewhat flexible. So you get this balance between hardness and flexibility, hardness and softness. 
and masters will make blades that are just hard enough and just soft enough to be both sharp but resilient as well. And so a tempered blade won't break. It will flex just enough and it will hold its edge perfectly for long periods of time, uh, even through battles or even through throwing knives at targets and stuff like that. Did I explain that well enough? Mm -hmm. So tempered steel is resilient, long-lasting steel that will hold its edge and be useful. Tempering your anger. Anger feels like a red-hot forge, you know, like heat that boils over, like a lot of temperature. But when you temper it, what you do is you cool it down just enough. Just enough. You simmer down. That's a phrase that we often use in angry situations. And if you do it well, you are hard, you have a penetrating edge, but you're also soft enough, flexible enough that no damage happens to you. And you can keep that edge for the long game. You don't have to solve everything at the moment. Right? You, can, you can be resilient over time. You're tempered. You're tempered. And that's what I think it means to keep your temper or to, to have a temper. Sometimes we say have a temper, but we mean somebody who loses your temper. Oh, he's got a temper. No, if you have a temper, that's a good thing. It means that there's softness in your hardness. And that's what faith gets us. We get angry, but that's not all we are. We temper ourselves to a point where the anger actually becomes useful. That it becomes a useful edge for a long period of time. And if you can master that in the moment, then the anger might take you to a good place, to a creative place, to a constructive place. Everybody get it? Yeah. That's what faith gets you. Say amen. amen. That's the point. That's what we want. We want the ability to be soft even when we're hard. To hold our edge even when we are tempted to shatter. Um, as I mentioned, I sat with a bunch of pastors uh, earlier this week and listened to stories of churches who are shutting down or churches who are splitting apart due to, well, not, not due to COVID per se, but due to COVID policies, which have been very shut downy, uh, right? and to reactions to COVID policies, um, because there are a lot of untempered reactions uh, to what's happening in the world. Because there's a lot of crazy things happening in the world that make us very angry, right? The politics of COVID and the reactions to those politics. Um, I think our COVID policies in the state of Hawaii and the country generally have often lacked wisdom. I'll put it that way. Largely because I think they have been influenced by politics as often as they have been influenced by medical or social science. And I think, in my opinionated sort of way, that, that mistakes ha have been made. And I could go on and on about that and tell you about all the studies I've read and, and whatnot. And perhaps you could go on and on about it as well. Uh, because surely you have ideas and surely, you know, they're the right ideas. And you have good reasons for thinking your ideas. I know that you do. Um, I, just, I just want to encourage everyone to be tempered uh, in the midst of all of this, whether it has to do with COVID or some other big social issue or some 
personal issue in your life that threatens to heat you up and shatter you or shatter the people uh, around you. Um, as a church, as a leadership team, we've been struggling to find a way to gather as a family. Uh, not gathering as a, as a family ha has been costly. You know, I'm in a place to hear a lot of stories uh, from, from the community. And, and it has been costly, and it's broken my heart um, to hear so many of, of these stories. Uh, that said, some people are angry right now that we'd even consider gathering during these dangerous times. I've heard some of that. Some people are angry to think that we might gather in a place that excludes people on the basis of vaccinations or tests, because right now in the state, you know, you have to show the card or in order to get in. And a lot of the places we've found to meet requires us to, uh, to check ID at the door, so to speak. Some people are aghast to think that we'd gather in a place that didn't require us to check vaccination cards at the door. And we've you know, received emails uh, about that. Some people have already left the church because I didn't tell people strongly enough that they should get vaccinated or give people enough political direction one way or, or the other. And at this point, I guess, I'm just kind of angry that people are so angry. <laughs> You know, if I'm angry about anything, it, it's just that. Because, yeah, because I, I, just, I just find it pulling people apart, both within themselves and, and pulling the community apart. And that's really what I regret most about the last two years. You know, there's just been so much shattering in so many ways. There's just been so much anger out there in the world and so little temper out there in the world. And I just think it's just a huge satanic ploy, you know. Um, you maybe get the feeling, as I often do, that these days there's, there's no way to win, right? I mean, you can't talk and find a way to win through, it seems. And so what people do is they kind of instead gather in their little safe groups, you know, with people that agree with them. You know, with people who are not angry at them anyway, you're angry at the others, you know, and we kind of have found the ways to do that, as humans often do. And some of that spirit, I think, has even influenced the church, the capital C church. You know, Blue Water's probably done particularly well in that regard, but even we have not emerged unscathed. Um, I've had to deal with that spirit of intemperance of untempered anger in a lot of different ways in, in, in my personal life, in ways that you know, have affected my family, things that have come against us over the last year, in ways that have impacted us. And, you know, and I'm upset about it. I'm very angry as well, struggling to keep my temper, just to be honest. But a tempered person does not break. A tempered person will flex just enough. You know, a tempered person finds the way to, to give a little bit, to be a little soft, while still keeping his or her edge. That's how a tempered person behaves. And so in the midst of it all, I try to make that my goal. And, and I try to use faith to get there. And what using faith to get there boils down to is this. 
I believe that God can make a path anyway. Even though there are those terrible people who don't agree with me. Even though, you know, this policy is incorrect, or this position is nonsense, or that sentiment is destructive. Even though all of those things are true, I just try to believe that God can make a path anyway. Because I hear he's a pretty big God. And I hear he does miracles. Uh, and I hear that he can provide some crazy and creative solutions or design arounds that he's able to zig even though we should zag. Um, and, and that's what faith gets me. You know, and, and that helps me to keep my temper in angry times. And I know that the people of the world need me to model softness in the midst of my hardness right now. Uh, I, I know that the world needs me to model temper, even though the world might not be a fan of it in the moment. You know, I think the hero right now is the angry person, um, not the tempered person. But eventually, I think the world <coughs> will benefit from having models of people who keep temper. I'll try to do it uh, in any case. And as a result, my edge will last. It will last for a long time. And, and that's, what, that's what I'll get. Anyway, some tips. Some tips for being a person of faith in angry times. A person of Christian faith, of course, I mean. Number one, in angry times, don't judge. Judgmentalism is a sure sign that your anger is taking you into nasty places. You can get angry. You cannot condemn or reject people in any fundamental way. This just simply is not allowed. I mean, Jesus is abundantly clear on this. Christians, you're not allowed to judge anyone. You know, there are nuances. You can say that this is right and this is wrong and stuff like that. But judgmentalism is a deeper thing, right? You can say that that person is wrong, but you cannot say that's the wrong sort of person. Right? And there's a difference. And we all know what the difference is. We all know it. We know it when we see it, and we know it when we experience it, and you're just not allowed to do it. Christian brothers and sisters, don't judge. Don't even flirt with being judgmental right now in this season, because it is the spirit of the age, and it is just wiping people out left and right. We're not going to judge. We are pe per persons of grace, of incredible generosity, and Patience. Uh, number two, you know, in angry uh, interactions, you've probably heard it said before, don't try to win, try to solve. Two very different things, right? Uh, these days, it's very hard to win an argument. It might be possible to solve an argument, though, right? It might be possible, at least, to suggest a creative solution or a compromise or a redirection or something to that uh, effect. And, and partly this will mean knowing when to keep your mouth shut. Everybody shut your mouth on three. One, two, three. Thank you. Um, it's a skill uh, that we all need to master. Uh, provoking someone who's already angry or continuing to vent in a situation that's already angry, probably not going to work. You need to be able to hit the pause button. Married people, talking to you. 
but it applies uh, to all of us. A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back, holds it in. Useful skill, not always, but useful to be able to do that when needs arise. Temper very often means playing the long game, being willing to walk away from a situation or just to hold your peace for a little while until the time is right. I have a saying, 80% of ministry is just hanging around, waiting for the opportunities to come. So don't be insistent. Don't be insistent. You can be clear, but be patient in life. Number three, expect creative solutions because you are the people of God. I've talked a lot about creativity in this sermon series. Expect creative solutions even though even though it was two words, I think it should probably be, be one word. I think we should speak often of the power of the even though. <laughs> even though. Expect creative solutions, suggest creative solutions, even though people might reject them in the moment. Uh, we're doing this with our pursuit of a space uh, for the church to meet in. Right? There's all sorts of things that have come against us. All sorts of things are just not the right solution, but they're going to be a creative solution. Even though. Even though. We should get t-shirts made. Somebody get on that. And number four, and I think this is timely this week. When you are angry, try to inject a little bit of thankfulness into your situation. Just a little bit. It's a little bit of thankfulness. Um, Inject a little bit of thankfulness into any situation or uh, when you are angry. You know, when you get angry, try to say at least, well, you know, at least this is okay. Or at least I have this resource. Or, you know, at least this didn't happen. Just a, a little bit of thankfulness uh, into the situation. I think thankfulness is the proper antidote to anger. Like when anger is a problem, I think if you could practice thankfulness, then you can kind of diffuse the problem. And I've learned this over the years in my own struggles to manage anger. Uh, I developed this technique called the 100 thankfuls. Um, you maybe heard, heard me talk about this. I developed it uh, when Sonny and I were moving back to the island and we had a dog uh, that we loved very much. And during those days, you had to put your dog in quarantine for months when you came to the island, which was totally ridiculous, scientifically completely unjustified. It was mindless, cruel bureaucracy, and I could go on and on about that. Dogs died in quarantine, and it's, it was just utter and complete nonsense. But God was calling us back to the island. And I was so overcome with anger about it that I just couldn't function. And so what I forced myself to do is to start every day in my prayer time to say 100 things I was thankful for in a row. Just whatever popped into my head, just as a discipline. It's very hard. It's very hard to do. Very hard to do. But that let me be creative, and we found some creative solutions. Basically, Sonia and I lived in a kennel with Rocky for three months or something. I don't know. We got some. We worked it out. So it was better, and, and Rocky survived, and so did my soul as it turned out. Sometimes I can't do 100 thankfuls. I might get one. I might get, I might get a phrase. Uh, but here's the thing, and this is what I want us to understand in this week of Thanksgiving. 
Thankfulness is the gateway to creativity in angry situations. When you're really angry, and you're angry at them, you're angry at those idiots and all those people who don't agree with you and those people who are destroying the world and the country and, and everything, right? when you're angry at those people, if you can find a little bit of thankfulness anyway, you realize that you have a resource. You know, everybody out there on H1 is an idiot. Well, I have this car to get me someplace. And I can go places today. And I can get things done. You know, thank God. And, and what it does is it redirects you to something you can do. Invariably, thankfulness takes you towards something that you can do even though you have strong feelings about stuff that is unacceptable, thankfulness will coach you to an approach. It is, it is part of the nature of thankfulness. Thankfulness will coach you toward a creative approach. It's not going to be perfect, but it will be a start, and with a little faith. With a little faith, Maybe you can take all of that anger energy and make it constructive instead of destructive. You can make it tempered and resilient and flexible instead of merely brittle and shattering. That's what I'm saying. I'm thankful, Lord, that at least we get to share online. I'm thankful that <clears throat> I have so many co-travelers during this time of isolation. Even though we are too separate, too isolated, too hemmed in, too hard pressed, I'm thankful for the strange togetherness that we have. I'm thankful for the power that comes from faith in Christ and love in the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey there, Blue Water family. Thanks again for joining us today for our online service, hopefully our last online service for a while, as we will be joining together in person starting next week, December the 5th. If you would like someone to join with you in prayer, perhaps over something Jordan mentioned about harnessing that power of anger into a creative approach to life, we would love to join with you. You can fill out our prayer request form at the bluewatermission.org site and someone from our team would love to contact you. Hope you guys had an amazing Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. Love you and looking forward to seeing you very soon.